Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 254. Today's big Bible question, how should we eat the Lord's Supper, and what does it mean? So happy and joyful Lord's Day to you, dear friends. Drink in the future victory today that was made possible by the resurrection of the Son of God on a different Lord's Day many years ago. The King is coming again. Join us today at 11 a.m. at the VBC Salinas page on Facebook if you got time for a time of worship and testimonies as we begin a new series in Corinthians. And speaking of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 11 is our focus passage today. We are also reading 1 Samuel 31, which has the death of Saul and Jonathan, Ezekiel 9, and Psalm 48. Now, one thing I do want to point us to in Ezekiel 9, although that's not our focus passage today, is verses 3 and 4. It says this, The glory of the God of Israel rose from above the cherub where it had been to the threshold of the temple. He called to the man clothed in linen and carrying writing equipment, passed throughout the city of Jerusalem, the Lord said to him, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over all the detestable practices committed in it. So basically, in this passage, God is instructing a spiritual being, uh, like an angel-type spiritual being, to mark those people who lament and groan over the sin of the people in the city of Jerusalem at the time. Only those people with the mark will be spared the horrible judgment that is about to come on Jerusalem. Now, does that mean it's good for us to complain? Well, I don't think it does, but it does most certainly mean that the people of God should be sorrowful in the face of a culture filled with sin and not jump in and participate. Now, back to 1 Corinthians 11. Quite a controversial chapter in a lot of ways, and there are a lot of controversial chapters in the book of Corinthians in general. I'm not going to discuss head coverings today, but on our website, BibleReadingPodcast.com, that's BibleReadingPodcast.com, for today's episode, 254, there is a good article I have linked from a guy, I think his name is Ben Merkel, who wrote about the whole head covering issue. So if you're wondering if that's still valid, you know, that all about that, you can find some good information by coming to our website, BibleReadingPodcast.com. Now, the Lord's Supper or communion is something that Jesus commanded his followers do as often as we get together in remembrance of him. Now, this is more than a meal, and I want to say that again for emphasis The Lord's Supper communion is not merely a meal of crackers and bread and juice at the church. This is something hugely significant. And as we discussed on episode 55, the Lord's Supper can be dangerous according to what we're going to read today in 1 Corinthians 11. But I want to discuss now how we should take the Lord's Supper. And let me be clear, I don't mean as in how the ceremony should work. I don't even think that Jesus nor Paul nor anything in the Bible seems to indicate that the Lord's Supper should be a ceremony or a ritual. I actually think we diminish the Lord's Supper when we ritualize it and make it ceremonial and do it in a fancy sort of way. So let's read the passage and then talk about the heart of what Paul is teaching here. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. Imitate me as I also imitate Christ. 
Now I praise you because you remember me and everything and hold fast to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to know that Christ is the head of every man and the man is the head of the woman and God is the head of Christ. Every man who prays or prophesies with something on his head dishonors his head. Every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head since that is one and the same as having her head shaved. For if a woman doesn't cover her head, she should have her hair cut off. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, let her head be covered. A man should not cover his head because he is the image and glory of God. So too woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman came from man. Neither was man created for the sake of woman, but woman for the sake of man. This is why a woman should have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. In the Lord, however, woman is not independent of man and man is not independent of woman. For just as woman came from man, so man comes through woman and all things come from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him, but that if a woman has long hair, it is her glory? for her hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to argue about this, we have no other custom, nor do the churches of God. Now, in giving this instruction, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For to begin with, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. Indeed, it is necessary that there be factions among you, so that those who are approved may be recognized among you. When you come together, then, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper, for at the meal each one eats his own supper. So one person is hungry while another gets drunk. Don't you have homes in which to eat and drink, or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I praise you? I do not praise you in this matter. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. In this way, let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you, and many have fallen asleep. If we were properly judging ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brothers and sisters... When you come together to eat, welcome one another. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home, so that when you gather together, you will not come under judgment. I will give instructions about the other matters whenever I come. So notice the warnings here in the instruction Paul gives. There's nothing about what kind of bread or any sort of ceremonial language at all. Paul does not write as if he is giving us a ritual, but rather a practice that is focused on remembering the resurrection in a way that honors the other people in the church. We're supposed to examine ourselves. We're supposed to recognize the body of Christ. We're supposed to judge ourselves during this act of the Lord's Supper. We're supposed to not eat in front of other people, but let them go in front of us. 
And sort of that tells us that this was not just merely a tiny little cracker in a little bitty plastic cup, but these people were eating together. And honestly, I sort of wish we still did the Lord's Supper in that way rather than with a tiny little thing. And of course, I understand why we do. But I think when the church comes together and eats together, and apparently the early church did that every Sunday, I think this is the way that Jesus himself instituted the first Lord's Supper. It was over a real meal, not a ritual meal, not a ceremonial meal, a real meal where you could proclaim the resurrection of Jesus, and you could show great concern for each other. Because the Lord's Supper is about those two big things. Number one, proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus. But number two, it's it's about being with each other, favoring each other, loving each other. Paul's great concern seems to be that the church would remember the purpose of the Lord's Supper, that is, the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, and that the church would partake of communion in a way that honors the whole church, the whole body of Christ, each person behaving the very opposite of selfishly. Everybody should feel loved and cared for in the midst of the Lord's Supper. These instructions are a culmination of what Paul has been writing up to this point. Passages like 1 Corinthians 1.10, which says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, and that you be united with the same understanding and conviction. 1 Corinthians 3.16 and 17, don't you know that you are God's temple and the Spirit of God lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, in other words, other believers, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and that is what you are. Or how about 1 Corinthians 9.19? Paul says, Although I'm free from all and not anyone's slave, I've made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. 1 Corinthians 10.24 No one is to seek his own good, but the good of the other person. 1 Corinthians 10.32 and 33 Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or the church of God, just as I also try to please everyone in everything. Thing, not seeking my own benefit, but the benefit of many so that they may be saved. It's all about the body of Christ, which Paul is going to go into great depth about in the next few chapters of 1 Corinthians. Taking, It's about the body of Christ taking care of itself by taking care of others. So communion is, first of all, a proclamation of the good news of Jesus. But the way that it is done is also a proclamation of honoring others above yourself, doing good to others more than yourself, and not loving your neighbor as yourself. Communion should broadcast the good news of Jesus and demonstrate the great love that the church has for each other, remembering that teaching of Jesus that the world will know us as followers of Jesus by our love for each other. So I want to close out with some wise words from Martin Lloyd-Jones on communion. Here is one other thing that is represented by the bread and the wine. It is this, the union of believers with one another. They are not only all joined to Christ, they are all joined to one another. Now the Apostle Paul has taught this in 1 Corinthians 10, a chapter in which we should pay careful attention. He writes, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Then he writes this, For we, being many, are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of one bread. Now you see what Paul is teaching there. He says that as we partake of Christ, we become one. We become, if you like, one loaf. 
So as we come to the communion service and the bread is broken, we are reminded at one and the same time of the parts and of the whole. The term communion, therefore, represents not only our communion with our with the Lord, but also our communion with each other. We are bound together with him because we are all in him. And that is why in chapter 11, the apostle goes on to give the teaching he does. He says, in effect, you're denying the very principle of communion. Some of you are eating too much while others are not having enough to eat. You're being selfish and divided, but you must all be one. You must wait for each other. Can't you see, says Paul, that you are denying one of the central things taught by the Lord's Supper, that you are all one? You should bear one another's burdens. You should share what you have with one another because you are all parts of the same loaf, the same bread. And it is idle for you to say that you have communion with him if you are not in communion with one another. What communion does is intensify the grace. It makes it more effective to us. Here's an illustration, says Dr. Lloyd-Jones. The man who puts the ring on his lady's finger is not loving her any more at the moment when he puts the ring on than he was before, and yet she is getting something in that intense manner with which his declarations do not give. And it's exactly the same with the communion service and the partaking of the bread and of the wine. It is one of the means used by God to make his own word to us effective. It is a portrayal. It is something the eyes can see. And so we thank God for this sacrament, And we should always go from it feeling strengthened and built up and established in the faith and rejoicing in our great salvation. Amen and amen. Let's continue reading 1 Samuel chapter 31, verse 1, the Christian Standard Bible. The Philistines fought against Israel, and Israel's men fled from them and were killed on Mount Gilboa. The Philistines pursued Saul and his sons and killed his sons, Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malkishua. When the battle intensified against Saul, the archers found him and severely wounded him. Then Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and run me through it, or these uncircumcised men will come and run me through and torture me. But his armor-bearer would not do it because he was terrified. Then Saul took his own sword and fell on it. When his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his own sword and died with him. So on that day, Saul died together with his three sons, his armor-bearer, and all his men. When the men of Israel on the other side of the valley, on the other side of the Jordan, saw that Israel's men had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned the cities and fled. So the Philistines came and settled in them. The next day, when the Philistines came to strip the slain, they found Saul and his three sons dead on Mount Gilboa. They cut off Saul's head, stripped off his armor, and sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to spread the good news in the temples of their idols and among the people. Then they put his armor in the temple of the Ashtoreths and hung his body on the wall of Bethshan. When the residents of Jabesh-Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all their brave men set out, journeyed at night, and retrieved the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshan. When they arrived at Jabesh, they burned the bodies there. Afterward, they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree in Jabesh and fasted for seven days. Psalm 48, verse 1, The Lord is great and highly praised in the city of our God. His holy mountain rising splendidly is the joy of the whole earth. Mount Zion, the summit of Zaphon, is the city of the great king. God is known as a stronghold in its citadels. Look, the kings assembled. They advanced together. They looked and froze with fear. They fled in terror. Trembling seized them there. 
agony like that of a woman in labor as you wreck the ships of Tarshish with the east wind, just as we heard, so we have seen, in the city of the Lord of armies, in the city of our God, God will establish it forever. Selah. God, within your temple, we contemplate your faithful love like your name, God, so your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with justice. Mount Zion is glad. Judah's villages rejoice because of your judgments. Go around Zion, encircle it, count its towers, note its ramparts, tour its citadels so that you can tell a future generation, this God, our God, forever and ever, he will always lead us. Ezekiel chapter 9 verse 1. Then he called loudly in my hearing, Come near, executioners of the city, each of you with a destructive weapon in his hand. And I saw six men coming from the direction of the upper gate, which faces north, each with a war club in his hand. There was another man among them, clothed in linen, carrying writing equipment. They came and stood beside the bronze altar. Then the glory of the God of Israel rose from above the cherub where it had been to the threshold of the temple. He called to the man clothed in linen and carrying writing equipment, Pass through the city of Jerusalem, the Lord said to him, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over all the detestable practices committed in it. He spoke to the others in my hearing, Pass through the city after him and start killing. Do not show pity or spare them. Slaughter the old men, the young men, and the women, as well as the children and older women, but do not come near anyone who has the mark. Begin in my sanctuary. So they began with the elders who were in front of the temple. Then he said to them, Defile the temple and fill the courts with the slain. Go. So they went out killing the people in the city. While they were killing, I was left alone, and I fell face down and cried out, O Lord God, are you going to destroy the entire remnant of Israel when you pour out your wrath on Jerusalem? And he answered me, The iniquity of the house of Israel in Judah is extremely great. The land is full of bloodshed and the city full of perversity. For they say the Lord has abandoned the land. He does not see. But as for me, I will not show pity or spare them. I will bring their conduct down on their heads. Then the man clothed in linen and carrying writing equipment, reported back, I have done all that you commanded me. Lord, have mercy on us. Good day, friends, and Godspeed.